Welcome back, everybody, to the newest episode of Cake Bites. Um, I am your host, Katie Cakes. And before we get started, I just wanted to make an announcement that I am going to be participating in the Extra Life Gaming Marathon again this year. Uh, and game day is on November 3rd. I'll have links available to my Extra Life profile page. You can go take a look. I really hope you'll consider donating. Uh, it's a really for a great cause for the Children's Miracle Network and all the proceeds from my drive will be donated to the McLean Children's Hospital in Temple, Texas. Um, so make sure you follow me on Twitch so you know when I go live, but it'll be at uh, 8 a.m. on Saturday, November 3rd. Um, yeah. And for this week, I'm super excited to have David Doak on the show. Many of y'all may know him as uh, Dr. Doak from the uh, GoldenEye N64 game. He was one of the developers um, who worked on the game at Rare, um, and he also went off to eventually uh help create the Time Splitter series. Um, and he's on the show today to talk about working at Rare, um, working on the GoldenEye game, uh, working on Perfect Dark, and then, you know, going off and starting his own studio. So uh, honestly, without further ado, here is David Doak. I really think that the best place to start clearly is, uh, I believe, with Rare. Or did you were you involved with games previous to working at Rare? No, I mean I, I played games quite a lot, but I'd, I'd never, I'd never really tried to make any. Um, I, I guess when I was, well, I, I suppose I, I'd tinkered with stuff, but not 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 seriously. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and so then what did you start at Rare doing? So it was a bit of an unusual introduction to Rare. So I was, at the time, I was, I'd, I'd finished a postdoc post um, in science. So I was, I was kind of like, I was a researcher and I was doing some teaching and stuff, um, university level. Mm-hmm. And, and was, you know, was playing, a, you know, playing, playing video games, um, yeah, some online games and just some like SNES games and stuff and things. And I used to get I used to get Edge magazine, which was uh, the kind of UK, you know, kind of glossy, kind of upmarket games magazine. Mm-hmm. And um, it had a it had a rare world recruiting, and they had a double page advert, which was you know artists and programs and things. But they also wanted the system administrator to look after. They had a silicon graphics network, so uh, N sixty four. Uh, required well i think that the, the, the art the art for donkey kong country and stuff and killer instinct all that kind of rendered shiny art which was kind, kind of new at the time was all done on on silicon graphics machines and and they were also using silicon graphics machines for n64 development and they were they were trying to recruit someone to look after them because it was quite a unusual uh skill because there weren't very many of them around um and it so happened that I had been using those machines in, in, 
in research. We had a couple of them in 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 the lab um, for for looking at molecular structures on. So this is kind of so this is nineteen ninety four, I guess ninety four ninety five, and there was no at that time there was no three D graphics on the desktop. Mm-hmm. You know, you, it, it was the time. It was kind of like. End of Windows two, Windows three, I guess, and and you know if you wanted, three D gaming was only really starting, um, and certainly it wasn't something that yeah three D three D graphics was. Um, so I actually wanted to ask, what were you studying? Um, uh, like, what was your postdoc in, and, and what was your research in? So I, I I did I did a degree in biochemistry, um, so and then. The, the latter part of my degree, I did some project work, which was involved computers, um, and then so my my, my postdoc was it was protein structure determination, um, and at the time it was it, it, yeah we, we used computers to look at the structures. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it used to, you know back in back in back in the early days of that kind of stuff, people built physical, physical models of stuff, mm-hmm. um, which were very time consuming to build and and it was just it was just moving into being a digital thing then um so i mean and and, and strangely in the last year i've kind of come back to working with that kind of stuff so <laughs> oh, that's awesome <laughs> um yeah i mean that's the, the what i was doing earlier i i i'm i'm working on some vr stuff for looking at molecules Oh, wow. So that's really awesome that it's kind of gone full circle for you. Uh, can you just talk a little bit again about how you got started at Rare because of the t- specific computer type that you were comfortable working with? So, so, there were, so, so Rare, Rare were using, I mean, again, at the time, people were starting to do lots of 3D polygonal modeling and, and rendering and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the, the, the graphics for the, the SNES games... Uh, Donkey Kong games and Killer Instinct were rendered offline. Um, so the sprites weren't hand-drawn sprites; they were rendered sprites, mm. and that was and that was and that was what gave them. I mean, that was you know, when, I mean, if you when Donkey Kong Country came out, I mean, that was I guess it was early 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 nineties um, on SNES. It was quite it was quite a big step um, because because the, the the sprites in the game, even though it was a two D game. Looked very 3D because they were lots of rendered frames of a thing rotating in, in, and being animated in 3D. So Rare were doing that, and then also they were starting to develop for what was at that stage called the Ultra 64, which was the the Nintendo 64 as it became. <laughs> and, and, and the development kit for that was all based around silicon graphics machines. So, so silicon graphics were a really important company because they they kind of yeah, they were. I guess the early '90s, they were one of the first companies making hardware-accelerated graphics, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of the people who worked at Silicon Graphics kind of went through into working for other companies like 3DFX and whatever. Um, so there was there was a very there was a small, you know, I guess they were they were um, West Coast West Coast America, and yeah, there was it was one of those times when there were. It was a focus and a concentration of particular talent, and that and Silicon Graphics as a company doesn't exist anymore. But I think a lot of the people who worked there ended up doing fairly significant things, um, and, and and the N sixty four was one of them. You know, so Nintendo had partnered with them, 
and the N64 was built on silicon graphics technology. Hmm. So they built the hardware. And how did you uh, leverage that that into the position that? Well, you it were was in? strange because so I you know I I took the job and yeah it was, it was it was very I mean at the time I guess Rare was probably about. 80 people, I suppose. I, th- I think I was employee 85 or something. It was still fairly small. Mm. Um, and so I, I went there and then had the, this job, which was, you know, just looking after the computers and making sure everything ran properly. And I'd only been doing it for about, I don't know, three or four, maybe even three months, I suppose. And I, I just kind of got sick of it because it was it was very strange to be working somewhere where they were, you know, rare, which was exciting because the games they were making, but I wasn't actually making any games. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a bit like, I don't know, I think I've said before, it was a bit like being the person, I don't know, the person in Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory who, I don't know, just makes sure that the machines... <laughs> <laughs> make sure the machines are working every morning. <laughs> so you don't actually get to taste the chocolate or make the chocolate or do any of the exciting stuff. So, so, so I... I I was kind of looking for another, I was thinking I would leave, and I can't remember, can't remember what happened. I think a friend who I'd been talking to had faxed me some information about a job, but they'd faxed it to the Rare fax. And, and it, was, it, was, it was quite interesting. I mean, Rare was, was, it was a funny place because it was quite insular and isolated. And they were really, I just remember being, called in and said, well, what's this? I said, well, I was, you know, I was thinking about doing something else. And they go, oh, what? no, no, you mustn't. It was, it was, you know, it was kind of, it was this weird, it was almost alien to them that, <laughs> that would want to leave. Anyway, and I said, well, you know, and, and I, I got on quite well with people when I was there. So they said, well, what would, what would make you stay? Um, I, I think I said, well, you know, it'd be, it'd be interesting to be working on the games, but, you know, I don't, I'm not particularly a programmer or, or anything, but, and, and then Martin Hollis, who was leader of the GoldenEye team, um, who had actually employed me in the first place, he had interviewed me for the network job, um, said, well, you know, maybe Dave can come and help out with this. So that's that's what I ended up doing. And then over, over the course of, I guess, probably within a, within a couple of months, that ended up being all I was doing um, because you just end up making a contribution to something. So it became more important that I was doing that than doing the other thing. <laughs> And even though you, like you say, you didn't have any formal programming experience or uh, anything like that, how, what did you kind of fall into a role, or did it take you a while to find what, how you best contributed to the team? Yeah, I mean, I did, I did some pro- programming, some logic programming, on my you know, writing C code, but you know, I was kind of learning it as I was going along, so it was, it was a slow process. You know, I mean, I, I was resourceful enough to learn how to do things, but it was mm-hmm. it was generally slow. But what I did end up doing was um, kind of just, I mean, just designing, designing, setting up the levels, and and also the way the way that Goldeneye was was made, you kind of needed to be able to code to set things up. Um, we kind of it, it, Mark Edmonds, who was the main gameplay kind of programmer. Uh, had built this scripting system for setting things up, and it's all fairly technical. Mm-hmm. So you know, I was quite happy to learn how to do that. So so that 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 became what I did. So and and then pretty much 
I end up just being the person who scripted the AI and set up the levels. Um, it, it, it was it was a fairly small team, you know. I think there's kind of about eight eight of us on the core team, and and people people's roles were very flexible. Mm-hmm. So if something needed to be done, then someone would pick it up. Um, particularly on the you know those of us who were more technical in terms of had you know. Could you, you know, like I'd done the system administration stuff and things, and also a lot of a lot of coding is quite mathematical and scientific anyway. So you would just you know if something needed done, you would you would you would try and pick it up and get it and get it done. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it, in a way it was much more an environment like a modern indie studio would be. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you have, you know, a typical indie dev, you've got, you know, less than 10 people maybe working on something. And because of that small pool, then you use whatever talent people have in whatever direction they can go. Absolutely. And how long into the development process of GoldenEye were you introduced to the team? So I think it was, it was probably about a year and a bit in. So um I, I can't remember exactly when when it had started. Mm-hmm. When I when I so when I first saw Goldeneye, um, which will be when I started working at Rare, it looked like a first person shooter. So you know it had you, you could go around and shoot shoot characters and corridors. Um, so the core the core engine was all working, um, but on top of that, there wasn't really much of a game. Um, in terms of structure and design and levels and things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, and there were a lot of, I mean, it, 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 yeah, it, it, it worked, but it had a lot of things that needed to be fixed and, you know, there's a lot of... Absolutely. And the game was being developed at the ta- same time that a movie was being produced? Like, it was kind of a... Well, the, the goal, I think the, the, the goal was that the game would be, would come out with the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that that went very awry because it took so long to do the game. But then, but then I think also when Nintendo, as I understand it, when Nintendo had got the Bond license, mm-hmm. it was at a time when people didn't really expect licensed video game properties to be any. You know, it, it was an afterthought. Really, um, it, it wasn't. It wasn't that important a thing to the franchise. So Nintendo had got the license, and they didn't really have a plan for what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And, and the initial design, or the initial, you know, what if for Goldeneye was was going to be make some kind of two um, D side scroller. Um, huh. So and, and, it, and it may have been and it may even have been a SNES game. And 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 Martin, I mean, it's Martin's story more than my story. But I think Martin had worked on Killer Instinct, and was also involved in helping Rare transition to 3D stuff. So he wasn't. I think he he didn't have a team assigned to him at one point. Mm-hmm. And and this Bond thing was floating around, and, and Martin liked Bond, and and he said, "Well, could I work on that if it was a 3D game?" Because um, I don't want to make a two D game. I'm more interested in three D tech. And and they were initially going to make something in the style of Virtual Cop, so pre scripted, 
you know, moving around a level. I mean, vir- you know, the virtual cop games and House of the Dead and stuff. You know, they're, to, it, they're essentially light gun games. Mm-hmm. That's a shooting gallery. So, so when, when Goldeneye was first put together, it was as a shooting gallery game, and I think it was shown. The, the, I think there was some early public showing of it. Maybe it's Shinkai Show or something in ninety. 19- <laughs> And, and and there's some video somewhere which which is just essentially it looks a bit like virtual cop. If the game changed direction in terms of graphics, I'm assuming that there were other major changes in the original plan for the game as well. Well, the, the graphic, I mean, it doesn't really make that much of a difference if you're moving around first person shooter in the game to it being prescripted. You know, the graphics engine is doing the same kind of stuff. A very interesting thing is that a lot of the things in Goldeneye which were seen as being innovative, such as location-based hits on the characters and characters who do things like run for switches who don't directly confront you, mm-hmm. um, they actually dropped out of... If, if, you, if, you, if you, I don't know if you've played it, but if you go and play something like Virtual Cop, you'll see that it does have location-based hits, so headshots are more lethal than arm shots or leg shots or limb shots. And also, you're, you're often, when you come into an environment, I mean, it's all very heavily scripted, but within an environment, you may have characters, there might be a character who runs off, so you've got a limited time frame to try and shoot them before they run off screen or something, because they're not all directly coming for you. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of those things, and there's a design document that, that Martin had done, which would have a lot of those things as kind of wish list features, um, and 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 a lot of them end up getting implemented. So, um, and, and 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 they made, you know, the, the the kind of the model for a first person shooter at that time was Doom. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, and Doom is essentially. You go through an environment which is a gated environment with some, you know, coloured keys to unlock doors. And every time you move into a new part of the environment, all of the enemy setup in that environment just comes straight toward you and tries to kill you. That I mean that that's that's how it works. Mm-hmm. So, but Goldeneye wasn't like that. So Goldeneye had, you know, the the, the AI did things when you weren't there. There were patrols and characters wandering around. Some characters were civilian characters. Uh, there was a lot more interaction with the environment. I mean, in, in, in Doom, there's very little interaction with the environment. In Goldeneye, almost everything you encounter explodes or breaks or something. Uh, so yeah, so there was, there was there was kind of like a there was a I don't know there was there was a shopping list of features, um, and we managed to get most of the things done. And the the multiplayer, if I remember correctly from what I was reading, that wasn't a, a, a feature that was intended originally for the game. Is that correct? Yeah, so it was, it, it was, it was very much a wish list thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we, you know, we used to play, in, in the team, we used to play a lot of Doom. Not, not a lot, but a fair amount of Doom. And, and, and we really enjoyed, as a group of people, we really enjoyed multiplayer games. Um, I mean, a game we used to play to death was Bomberman. Mm-hmm. The snares um, and and just that whole kind of couch, you know, everyone in the same space playing a game, looking at the same screen. Um, so it was a thing we really wanted to do, and 
you know, we knew that it was possible to do, but it was going to be work. And again, Martin, Martin cleverly scheduled the work so that Steve, Steve Ellis and Duncan Botwood, so Steve was programming, Duncan was doing design. We managed to get to a stage where they could be freed up from the main single-player game. And, and, and that was kind of in the last, I guess, eight months or so of development. And, and, and they just were in another room as a kind of team of two, seeing if it was possible to get multiplayer working, um, which, which they did. I mean, it, 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 in some ways, it's, it's not that hard, but in other ways, it's incredibly hard because Steve had to go through all of the code in the game, which was designed to run in single player, and make it work in multiplayer. Because it, it hadn't been designed with multiplayer as being something you could just switch on at the end. So it was a lot of very laborious work. Um, and, 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 yeah, and they did it. And, and it was, yeah, and it was largely, it, it wasn't expected. It was, it was to some extent concealed from management that we were doing it. <laughs> but, I it, mean, it, 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 it's, in a way, I mean, I'm sure Goldeneye would have in no way have had the enduring success if it hadn't been for the multiplayer. I mean, that was, it was, it was critical. I think one of my favorite things is that you have an iconic, uh, you, you're very iconic because of a character in the game named Dr. Doak after yourself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what led to the decision to put yourself in the game in, in a way? So, so be- because, because I was doing the level setup, um, it meant that I had a lot of control over, I mean, I, I mean, there wasn't, other than the levels being modelled on the on, on, on the film, there was a fairly light brief as to how things would work. And, and a, lot of, a lot of my time was spent just trying to work out things that would be entertaining mm-hmm. um, that the film. And, what, and one of the things was trying to, so as I said, so Doom, a Doom level is essentially red, yellow and green keys or whatever, or blue. Yeah, you, you get the coloured key and the coloured key opens the door. Mm-hmm. And, 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 the, and the mechanics of that are very obvious because it's just you know, coloured keys. So one of the things in trying to make the game more alive was finding ways to... We had, you know, there were gated parts in the game, but trying to make the, the unlocks a bit more interesting than just picking up a key. Um, so a good example is... Shooting a lock to open a door—that was, you know, that was an unusual thing to do. Or having having a a computer or a terminal that you press a button on it and opens a door remotely and things like that. And having so we had this, uh, you know, the the Doctor Dope character in, in in the gas plant is just a key. I mean, you go somewhere and there is a AI character who gives you a door decoder, which is just a key, and then you go and use it. It's a key. But it's pressed up with some narrative around it, a very light narrative. Anyway, so <laughs> one of the things in Goldeneye was that in modelling the characters, uh, the decision had been made to use people's likenesses. So all of the all of the faces you see in Goldeneye, other than the movie actors, are people from Rare. So we we took pictures, and B. Jones, who was modelling the characters. Put, put our faces on the heads, and all the heads are interchangeable. So that was one of the nice things with Goldeneye is, is, is that you can 
plug a head into anybody and stuff and things. They're all kind of because they're all low poly. So anyway, because the gas plant is like a kind of sciencey thing, and uh, we had lots of science characters wandering around, and I was a scientist, so I had fixed it so that I would be the scientist head that, that <laughs> the guy. And then in putting the text in, I put in Dr. Dope um, with the expectation that it wouldn't stay because <laughs> it, Rare were didn't really, I mean, they, they, the stampers kind of who, who ran Rare and owned Rare, it was, it was a fairly, um, I don't know, kind of, people's names were in the credits for games, but there wasn't, you know, the, the development teams were fairly invisible behind this monolithic thing, which was Rare. Mm-hmm. So, so, so my expectation was that you know I, I put it in because it, it was funny. It was funny the day I put it in because I knew other people in the team would look at it and then we would take it out. That was that was the expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't immediately get taken out. And then management saw it. So Tim Stamper saw it and said, "Okay, that needs to come out." <laughs> and and yeah, so there's a bit of there's a bit of naughty schoolboy about this. So, that, so having been told, you know, we, we, you know, we were expecting to take it out, but having been told we had to take it out, <laughs> made us want to keep it in. Or made Martin, if it wasn't me, it was Martin, I think, made Martin want to keep it in. So it got changed, and then Martin changed it back again, I think. And then the next time Tim saw it, he was quite cross, but it was late on in development, so all of the strings and the text had already gone to be localized. So I think we said, well, we can take it out, but it might cause bugs, <laughs> which, is a, which is a bit ridiculous. And, and, and it got to stay in because of that. And it was always a bit of a bone of contention because it was, I think it, it, did, it did annoy management to some extent, but it stayed in. And then, of course, you know, later when I left Rare, it was quite funny because obviously one of the you can you can screenshot you can screenshot Goldeneye and have a thing that says it's time to leave, Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> um, interestingly, when they it's never been released, but when they um, when Microsoft did do a remaster of Goldeneye because they they remastered um, Perfect Dark mm-hmm. for XBLA. And they were intending, and, and, and it did exist. I know I've spoken to other people at Rare who says it did exist. They, they did have Goldeneye working as well, but they could never get the rights cleared to release it hmm. because at that stage, so Perfect Dark was fine because Microsoft owned Perfect Dark when they bought Rare, but Bond license was more complicated because the license for Goldeneye was partly owned by Nintendo hmm. and then by Eon Danjak, who are the parent company of, 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 of who licensed MGM. And also Activision had were using the GoldenEye license at the same time. So it never got released. But when they did that remaster, they changed the name. I, 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 I saw a thing about it. They changed the name of Dr. Dope. <laughs> <laughs> to what? To something else. To do, some, something. However, it never got released, so never mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they get. Um, and so uh, speaking of the licensing, I know you said that the licensing was very, the situation was 
interesting because there was really not a lot of licensing in games. One of the I read that there one of the things that you guys ran into was um, using older Bond images, um, and you guys had developed like a game mode using or uh, so as we as we understood it, it, it we. The, the license that MGM, I guess, were the company who were involved in it, um, had given to Nintendo was that we could use anything from the Bond universe. So, so which was great, particularly when you came to multiplayer. Um, but also, I, I think it probably first came about because we wanted to have some of the other iconic villains. So... Odd job and Jaws and Mayday, um, so so they were all in the game, and because of the way the head, I think largely because of the way the heads worked in the game, as I said, you you, you could interchange all of the heads. Mm-hmm. It wasn't it, it, it was fairly trivial to put in Sean Connery and Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton as well, who were the you know at the time those were the three other obvious bonds to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously now there's, there's been other bonds. Um, so they were in the game as selectable characters. Um, and we, we were pretty much unbothered by, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you, if you're making something nowadays and it's a licensed property, there's endless amounts of interference from the people who are doing the licensing. Uh, I mean, in particular, I mean, I, I, I know some friends who worked on Disney stuff, and they just said it's just you know it, you just want to kill yourself by the end of it because any anything at all that someone can take an issue with, they take an issue with just because that's the job. <laughs> um, so, but for for Goldeneye, we never really had any interaction with MGM. Until quite late in development, um, some guys came to check up on it. <laughs> it makes it sound like they showed up with like briefcases, fedoras, well, uh, sunglasses, and suits. You know, like they came I to check up on you. <laughs> I think there were three. There were three guys, and it was almost like they had kind of forgotten about it. And then they came. They they came along one day, um, and I remember. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's one of those things where I can remember what I was doing because I had just, at the time, I was setting up the Egyptian level, which has got Baron Samdi in it, the the, you know, the black actor from uh, which one it is, the one with the kind of voodoo stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And he has the kind of skeleton face paint and stuff. Uh, wears a wears a white top hat and 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 a big white tuxedo ripped tuxedo, because I just put him. I, he was kind of the boss for this level, and we'd done this thing at the end of it where he comes up and he laughs at you, and we put in the Baron Sandy laugh. And I remember showing it to this guy from MGM, and he was he was going, "Oh, that's brilliant! You know, it's, that's just you know, it's, it's the kind of I, I don't know whether people use the word fan service in those days, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's the kind of fan service thing that is nice." And we showed them all of the other bonds, <laughs> <laughs> and and there were, there were there were two things that came out of that. One was that we couldn't use the other bonds, and and it was more to do with their. I think their feeling was that if if the other bonds were in it, then and I think it was particularly Sean Connery they were wary of that Sean Connery was very protective of 
his licensing and residuals and stuff and things. And and Sean Connery's lawyers would certainly be wanting some money for him. Mm. And then if Sean Connery was going to get some money, then Roger Moore would want some money. <laughs> <laughs> so so they it was just they, I think it was just you know don't do that because it will open up some costs that we don't know. So don't do it. And then the other thing was that they 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 just said this game's much too violent. <laughs> so to the extent that I mean they, they they really they really wanted to completely pull the teeth out of it and make it almost not violent at all. So they had this thing which they said which was that you know, Bond, <laughs> and, and again, it's to do with the times, I think. it was. So this is, you know, it's, it's the late 90s. And they were saying, well, you know, Bond doesn't do, in the game, obviously it's a first-person shooter, you can shoot someone and there are death animations which look like they're hurt because they're dying. And when they're dying, you can shoot them again. You know, I mean, that's just, it's just the mechanics of the game. And they were saying, well, Bond would never do something like that. Um, because they were kind of trying to change what Bond was. Mm. Yeah, because I, mean, I, I remember having the conversation with 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 people. I think me and Martin may have been involved in it, and we were, you because know, we 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 had trawled through all of the Bond films, reminding ourselves about what James Bond was like and stuff, things, looking for things to put in the game. Uh-huh. And then we were saying to them, "Well, he does do things like that because if you look like you know, I think in in." in one of the early, particularly the Connery ones, there were some incidents where he just shoots innocent people. You know, the, the, I think there's, 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 a, there's a particular scene, I think it's, it's in from Russia with Love or something, where there's Bond's somewhere and there's this guy and Bond just kills him. The guy's not armed even. And he just shoots him. Well, because he's got, because he's got a license to kill. <laughs> <laughs> the, the notion that a James Bond game with guns and some violence is too much is a little it's a funny argument to to have made i think they had so nintendo were also a bit twitchy about the whole thing because what because what had happened was you had gone from sprite based games which were largely drawn you know two-dimensional sprites to 3d games so like mario you know Tomb Raider, Lara Croft and stuff and things and, and, and now Goldeneye but I think particularly with in Goldeneye because you could shoot people and the, the, the animations the hip reaction animations mm-hmm. were for the time quite realistic so it looked like they'd been hurt I mean, we had we had there were a couple of fairly slow death animations which we had to change the timing off because they went on for too long. <laughs> there were some concessions, you know. The concession was that guy looks like he's rolling around on the ground suffering, so we don't want that in the game. And, they, need, they need to be clean shots only. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so that was tied up, and and we also had there's a there's an interesting piece of censorship in the Japanese version, in that in in the game, as well as the guns, we have there's a throwing knife and there's also a hunting knife. I can't remember where the hunting knife is in the final game, but it was like a it was a melee weapon. 
And just before, again, when we were going through lot check and testing um, in Japan, so it came out in Japan first, there, there, had been an, there had been a horrendous incident in Japan where some, some, somebody had been killed in a knife murder and decapitated or something. Mm-hmm. And it was, and it was just, it was kind of, you know, just in the news at the time. And we had a, we had a fax from, I think Miyamoto had been involved in it and it was, you know, they, they, they really liked the game, da, 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 but they were concerned about, and it had a really interesting kind of Jip English translation. They were concerned about murder in the close distance so murder in the close distance is what happens. It's it's like a melee melee attack. Oh. So they didn't they didn't like the idea that there was that you could that you could stab people. Um, oh. So it got taken out. I think from the, I think the knife, the hunting knife, got taken out. And I can't remember whether the hunting knife is in the actual game or not. <laughs> um, but it but it was an interesting time because it was the trans. It, when it's funny looking back at it because at the time. I was pretty much of the opinion that you would just make it as realistic as possible. Mm-hmm. And we were just making it as realistic as possible. And over the years since then, I guess, you know, being a parent is probably one contributing factor, but also just seeing as, as games got more and more realistic and violence could be portrayed in increasingly realistic kind of ways, particularly... I guess particularly melee violence. I kind of do, you know. There is a there is a kind of place for it. Um, one thing I particularly remember from my own personal experience is playing. I think it was Grand Theft Auto Five or something, and there was a bit fairly early on in it mm-hmm. where you had to beat a guy up, and you don't you can't shoot him because you, you haven't got anything to shoot him with, but you've got like a pipe or something, and you can kick him. <laughs> and and it's it's just it's. It's one of the first, and it wasn't. It wasn't particularly gruesome, but it was. I'm playing a game where I've got this guy, and I've hit him, and he's down on the ground. I'm going to kick him to death, and so I'm kind of thinking, well, it's not really that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's funny. I mean, it, 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 it's interesting that whole, you know, violence and context, and mm-hmm. does. Does it? I mean, I don't. I don't think it desensitizes people. I think the kind of people it desensitizes are people who probably were desensitized mm-hmm. already. Um, and 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 you know, he, 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 I I you know I enjoy fiction and movies where violent things happen. You know, they're, they're important movers of plot and stuff and things. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it, it, I guess that the, the realism is a big issue in. in games mm-hmm. and and that was an issue for them at the time and, and and then then it was it was an issue because we were kind of breaking new ground in terms of realism sorry that's a big that's a big big digression but <laughs> no but it, no but it makes a lot of sense um it's one of those things i think that people look at early 3d graphics um in the lens of you know, 2018 or even, you know, just within the last 10 years. And they're like, oh, I can't believe people would say that GoldenEye was too violent. I, I yeah, talked, yeah, I talked yeah. to the guy who created the Rampage arcade game. Um, mm-hmm. And he gotten he he said people were so upset because of the nudity in that game, which is literally <laughs> the pixels 
of them transforming back into people. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's like literally you couldn't create the genitalia if they wanted to, <laughs> but people still freak out, you know. So it's really interesting to hear that at the time that was an issue. So, and you guys made changes to account for yeah, and, and and we were also self censoring to some extent because I, 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 it's probably impossible to even ever see it again. But there was a, I remember seeing a, an early ROM, which is just a kind of research kind of build of Goldeneye, where Mark and and Martin had tried to do particle blood. Oh. So yeah, par- particles, par- particles weren't something. I mean, particles are everywhere in games now almost all of the dynamic effects you see explosions and you know fragments and clouds and everything leaves are done with what's called particles and 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 it wasn't really a big thing back in back in back in that time um but mark martin had a uh, mark had done had done this thing where you shot the guys and it, it, they had this ridiculous arterial spurt of blood <laughs> <laughs> and it, it 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 looked a bit stupid, um, but it was you know it, 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 I think we we could have made it better and less stupid or less unrealistic, but it was just kind of this feeling. Well, no, that's just a bit over the top. Um, it, 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 it censorship. Particularly the censorship of violence in game, in, in, in games and film, I think is absolutely fascinating because it's it, it it's it's a, a constant issue, but it moves around in very slippery ways. So you know, if you look at something like um, an example, I'm very fond of is the Lord of the Rings films. Mm-hmm. They're incredibly violent, mm-hmm. but they were allowed to be rated reasonably accessibly because they were seen as having some value outside of that. And and it was, I, I expect at some level, money talked and that's how they got those ratings. Mm. Uh, but, you know, other things which are equally as violent um, but don't have the provenance can end up being heavily, heavily censored. We we had similar. I mean, when we were making the Time Splitters games, we had we there was one point there was, I think, particularly Time Splitters, to Future Perfect. I think mm-hmm. there was Future Perfect. That was at the time there was a bit of a backlash against violent video games in the UK, mm-hmm. and, and and we I think like the game had an eighteen rating in the UK. Oh, so a really high rating, um, and it was all to do with they had they had a a tick box list of things which were the sense the, the, the criteria for censorship and blood was one and yeah you know, and we had we had things like shooting the heads off zombies and but you, but you know you, you'll have a list and decapitation will be on the list huh um wow. so you know, you automatically even though and and then you get into these you get into these ridiculous conversations where you you start you start becoming a parody of yourself. So I remember talking to a guy once and saying, well, you know, they're zombies. Obviously, you shoot their heads off because that's, <laughs> that, that's the trope. That's how zombies work. Yeah, if there was a zombie apocalypse, I would entirely be expecting to be out with a baseball bat knocking the heads off zombies. Mm-hmm. You know, 
And if, and if that didn't work, I'd be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, exactly. But, be... but, but, then, but then you come across as someone, you know, then you come across as being someone who likes to chop people's heads off. But I'm not. You know, I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> what was the feeling leading up to launch? It sounds like there was, I mean, the, the entire development process was a bit of a roller coaster. <laughs> not, you know, it was, and you guys were told you had to make some changes things had to be taken out um what was the feeling going leading up to the launch and and how was the reception for you guys the, the taking things out wasn't so much of an issue mm-hmm. because there was only a few things had to be taken out and and, and it was they, they were easy to do and it was kind of like yeah you you kind of go oh what a shame that you do it um i mean i think the biggest thing was that we all had been working on it you know, certainly the last couple of years were very intense. And and we all, and everyone who ever makes anything that they care about always thinks the same thing. We, we, we didn't think it was as good as it could be. Um, you know, all we could see were the warts and the ugliness and the broken things. And so, you know, we were glad that it was going to be coming out and it was finished, but I kind of, you know, we, it was tinged with thinking, well, you know, this, this probably won't be received that well. Um, although when we were, when it was in testing, we got, we got a lot of really good feedback from America, from um, NOA, so Seattle, they used to call themselves Treehouse, mm-hmm. which was kind of their testing department there. And we, we had loads of feedback about people coming in and doing overtime at the weekends, playing the multiplayer just because they enjoy playing it and stuff. So that was all that was all good. But but you know, our general kind of thing was we were it was yeah, relief that it was finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and when it came out, it didn't immediately do very well in terms of sales figures. Mm-hmm. In in those days sales figures were kind of a jealously guarded thing and were hard to come across and we would kind of get it all second hand but it it, it was I, th- I think it had a very flat trajectory of sales I mean it's very different now when a game comes out now like you know something like Call of Duty or whatever you know they, they, they aim to do 90% of the sales in the first month or something that's that's kind of you know it's, it's very heavily front loaded mm-hmm. but and, and and also, there's just so many things come out now. So you know, you, you're you're only in the spotlight for a very short amount of time. Uh, whereas if you go back, if you go back to you know 1997, say with the N64, you know there weren't really that many releases in a calendar year. Mm. So so mm-hmm. things were more visible for longer. And and Goldeneye came out, and it just kept on selling. And and the reviews were consistently very good. And then I think one of the things which, I mean, I don't know how, how true this is, but it kind of felt like it was true, was at that time there was still a very big rental sector. And I think the thing about GoldenEye was that if you rented it and played the multiplayer, for instance, it would be a thing that you'd be reluctant to take back to the shop. You know? <laughs> so so it, it, would, it would lead to sales. You know, a, a, game, a game which is a game which lasts for five hours and is very self-contained and has limited replayability outside of that, you know, if you rent it, you rent it and you play it and you wouldn't consider buying it. Whereas, you know, this, this had legs. So people who rented it probably went on to buy it. 
And how long after uh, the release of GoldenEye did you guys start working on Perfect Dark? Pretty much immediately. I think I think we had like, you know, we had been working incredibly stupid hours to yeah. finish it. That so, crunch. <laughs> but the crunch, but and and it and it was, yeah. Crunch, crunch is interesting because it's. You know, in many ways, we had self-selected to do it. You know, in a small team, you know that if you're not there, then other people are carrying. You're carrying the weight. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we were all very proud of what we were doing. So, it, you know, you would stay, and 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 we worked stupid hours. I mean, in, in, particularly toward the end, people were consistently doing 100 week hours. And, and and that's a lot of time. I mean, that that's that's t- to do a hundred weeks, a hundred hours in a week. Mm-hmm. You need to be there fourteen hours a day, so it doesn't leave you very much time to go home and sleep and things. And and that's all you do. And it's seven days a week. Um, and it's it's interesting because you, you, you don't realize the damage you're doing to yourself. <laughs> you're doing, we, you know, we, we didn't know none of us had any, um, responsibilities outside of the office. So, you know, we weren't, you know, it was only ourselves, but, um, it's funny. I, I, I saw it more when I watched free radical, you know, but by that stage, you know, I, I had, I had children at home and, it was, I was watching people who were working for me, largely doing crunch, and you, yeah, you, know, you could see that it wasn't good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but even when you tell people to not do it, they they sometimes just go on and do it because they they really care about the thing that they're doing. Anyway, so I mean, your question was was, was about <laughs> afterwards. So so I think, I think we probably had like a month or so of you know of. Um, <laughs> so you got working, a whole lot of time to recover from that working normal hours yeah <laughs> but it's a big thing if you go from spending every waking moment trying to do something to it not being so critical it does feel like a holiday Absolutely. Um, so so we had some time off and time to think about what we were doing and 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 but but pretty much we we, we had a whole you know the when when you're trying to ship something, you get to a stage where even if you have a good idea, you can't, you're not allowed to implement it because it'll probably break stuff. So, you, you know, you, 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 all, all, of the, all of the feature creep and mission creep and whatever, you have to put out of your mind. But you end up, you still have those ideas. So there was, a, we, we, yeah, we had a whole list of things we wanted to do. So Perfect Dark was a way of realizing a lot of those things. Um, and, and, and then also just the, you know, the fun of, of, of writing some new fiction as well, mm-hmm. uh, was, was, was good. And how long did you, how long were you on that project for before you broke for off? Um, so I guess it must've been a year and a half. So, uh, cause Goldeneye came out in August 97. So we would have been finished you know, like a month or so before that. And I, I left Rare at the end of 98, like November 98. And, so, and had you already f- 
founded Free Radical or you had an idea of what you wanted to do with Free Radical uh, prior to, or like, I, I guess, are you comfortable talking about what um, pushed you to leave Rare and start Free Radical? Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, personally for me, I, mean, I loved working at Rare. Um, I didn't like the way the company was structured. Mm. So it was a family company. Um, and, and, and it had a, well, it wasn't really a very glass ceiling because it was quite obvious, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, and, yeah, and, and, but, you know, and, and they, there were issues with kind of, um, nepotism and stuff and things just in the way it works. But I mean, that's not, I mean, I, we were probably being a bit idealistic about it because, you know, the world's not a fair place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think particularly, so the GoldenEye team was interesting in that we were nearly, well, we were all, our, our average age was higher than the rest of the company, oh. apart from management. So, we, you know, I mean, so, I mean, I was, at the time, I was 30 when GoldenEye came out, um, and a lot of the rest of the team were in the mid mid to late 20s, because we'd all been to university, which mm-hmm. was un- when rare when rare started it was mostly people you know who hadn't gone to college i mean they were yeah they were they were clever people but they'd gone straight into making games um so so we so so and i think i think because of being people i mean particularly for myself you know my contemporaries or people i've been to to university with were you know, we're, we're moving into management jobs and, you know, they so at Rare, having done GoldenEye, you know, I was off the mind, well, you know, I'm, I'd like to be doing something with a bit more responsibility next time. Mm-hmm. Whereas the view at Rare was, well, this team should just make another game. Um, so there was, there, was, there, was, there was friction there just in terms of, of, of ambition, I suppose. Um, and, and and also, like I said, the crunch thing. Uh, you know, I, I it, it it was a lot of time, and rare wasn't. You know, if they'd said to me, "Okay, go and take six months off now and travel the world, and then come back and do something," then maybe I'd have done that. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of very much, "Well, do the next thing." <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, so. And, and 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 I guess the company. I mean, the company did try to reward people in terms of um, money for royalties and stuff, but it was it was a very it was a very obscure system. So it was not something that was spoken about, and they didn't like people looking in other people's pockets. So. <laughs> <laughs> So if that had been, I guess if that had all been more transparent, then that might have been, you know. Anyway, uh, that, that, yeah. So just general things, mm-hmm. and 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 and. I mean, and then also, I mean, the way it all came about was a little bit strange. In that Martin, Martin, so Martin Hollis, who was the team lead on Goldeneye, mm-hmm. had similar feelings about things to the stuff that I've just described, and Martin did try to have some kind of conversation with senior management about it, um, which, which pretty much resulted in him getting fired. <laughs> <laughs> so, Martin, so Martin left 
long a while before we did because he he started this conversation and once he started the conversation it wasn't allowed to go back in the box so it was kind of it was it was seen as a kind of disloyalty thing i think at rare uh, you know we've 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 given you this opportunity and now you're being disloyal about it because you're asking for more or asking for it work, to work differently um so martin left and it was a very strange thing because we all had which we all had very onerous contracts non-compete contracts so you know if you left you weren't allowed to do anything that competed for like a year or two years or something um, i mean of questionable enforceability <laughs> so martin martin left and martin was on what is called gardening leave so gardening leave is when you're you know left a company but they don't want you doing anything else so they effectively pay you to do the gardening you know you just oh. sit you sit at home you sit at home and watch TV and get paid. Mm-hmm. So Martin was off on gardening leave um, and, and was supposed to not be able and, – and it was very much – there was this kind of – the inside story at Rare or the, the story that management put forward was, well, Martin is an example of why people don't leave because he's left and now he's not allowed to make games. Mm. Yeah? But <laughs> – Martin then, so the non-compete was you can't work for a competitor, yeah? Mm-hmm. But Nintendo weren't a competitor. So when Nintendo found out that Martin wasn't working <laughs> rare anymore, they immediately offered him a job working on the development of the GameCube. Oh, wow. So, so, so because they, 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 you know, he, he'd been very closely involved with, N64 stuff from an early stage and had made, you know, arguably one of the best games in N64. So the idea of having him sitting close to the hardware development team in, in America and, and, and I think also in Japan was, was, was something. So that, anyway, he went and did that. <laughs> Which was quite <laughs> so that, that was his punishment. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and I kind of, I, when Martin had left, my heart was really in some ways, and I just didn't like the way it was going. Um, and I was, I think I would have just left and not done anything else to do with games in some ways. But Steve, Steve Ellis, um, who had become a, a, a good friend, um, when. <laughs> I, remember Steve, Steve, I remember Steve talking to me one day and saying, Martin was going to leave and you're going to leave, aren't you? And I said, yes. He said, well, why have you talking to me about it? I said, well, I didn't think you'd be interested. And, and that was, yeah, that was pretty much what we did, pretty radical. We would do that. Um, so, and, 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 Steve, and Steve was great because Steve is a lot more, Steve's a lot more driven than I am. So he was... He was very good. If, if I'd just been leaving to set up the company my own, I probably would still be sitting in my underpants. Because <laughs> I, 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 I prevaricate quite a lot and get distracted. Um, but when Steve was involved, Steve was kind of, you know, I'd left and Steve was endlessly phoning me up and saying, have you done this yet? Have you done this? Have you spoken to publishers? Are you doing this? Um, and, yeah, so Steve and then Carl... Um, so we ended up with Steve and Carl, myself and Graham and, and Lee Ray. 
so four, four of us had worked on GoldenEye and Lee, Lee was working on Perfect Dark as well. Um, so yeah, off, 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 off we went and, um, and, and, and cold called a lot of publishers <laughs> and, and, and those were still the days when you could phone. It's quite, it's quite funny. It now reminds me of, um, Austin Powers, you know, when, 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 when the, when the bad guy's asking for the ransom and it's a million pounds or something or a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and everyone, he's, yeah, he's going, Ooh, it's a, I need a million dollars. And, <laughs> Well, that's not really very much money. Well, when we were doing that, we were going around and we were asking for a, a million pounds because we, yeah, we worked out what it was going to cost to make a game, mm-hmm. and you know, it was going to be you know ten people or something for three years, or whatever, and that was pretty much what we reckoned the cost was, and and because we knew that's what it would cost, having having just been close to development and rare, and, and we knew what machines cost and everything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, nowadays you couldn't really make very much for that amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> well, you could if you were indie. You know, I mean, indie's a different thing. But um, anyway, so, yeah, so we went and, 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 and that, was, that was interesting because we spoke to a lot. Of, you know, cold calling people is, is, is a very interesting thing. <laughs> um, you know, because I, w- I would phone places up and... You know, publishers, you know, it's like Activision and whatever, THQ, IDOS, whoever they were at the time, Acclaim, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you would sometimes just get, you know, there's there's gatekeepers everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and the gatekeepers are often not very clever monkeys. So you end up talking to someone and they're just wasting your time because they, they, they don't. Um, and, and it was... It's funny. I remember phoning Idos and and the guy who actually Mike Suto, who who was involved with some of the Tyson stuff early on. He was kind of like a producer there. You know, so I I got through the switchboard and I got to him, and I just remember how yeah the guy clever guy because he spoke to me mm. and he just confirmed you know you'll say you you've left where you would do work in gold and I don't and I just remember him saying okay. Um, I've got your details. I will phone you back. I need to go and talk to someone senior here. So, yeah, I mean, we, we had a couple of deals on the table in the end, but it was interesting because that was just an example of someone, you know, mm-hmm. of someone in a gatekeeper role who understood when they had to open the gate. Uh-huh. <laughs> Absolutely. Were, were y'all subject to that same non-compete starting your own company? Well, we were, but we had some legal advice that it was unenforceable, so... And then also, it's kind of weird because the time that it was going to take to make a game meant that by the time you did anything commercial or released anything commercial, then the the non-compete time period would have expired. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, non-competes are, I mean, they're terrible. I mean, it's like it's like software patents. It's the same kind of thing. They're just they're just ridiculous things that shouldn't exist. Right. It's like, yes, I will not get into it. It's just so the concept is. Very yeah, silly. I mean, it's like you know, obviously you, you shouldn't steal people's stuff and pass it off as your own. But you know, if you have a skill set, even if you've learned that skill set working in someone else's employ, you know they've already been rewarded for that. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, you know, they, they, they don't they don't own your firstborn <laughs> <laughs> that you know of. Um, <laughs> And so, what was the timeline um, in starting Time Splitters? In in starting the after starting the studio, because um, I'm yeah. sure acquiring 
the funding and, and everything took quite a bit of time, or maybe it didn't. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> so we, so we, I left Rare in, I think, the end of November 98. Mm-hmm. And I know through we started in an office on 1st of April 1999 just because I remember the date because we were just laughing about the date um, but, and, that, and, that, and that was and that was I guess the five of us so we'd all you know we, we had funding in place and we had the project and we had computers and I mean it, 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 it took a while it probably took about two or three months to spin up from then because also we had no idea what we were doing you know, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a big difference in rocking up somewhere and it's your day job and all the stuff's there mm-hmm. and being the person who's responsible for all the stuff being there. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, and I think that's a, it's interesting because that's, that's no longer, you know, for game development, that's not an issue anymore because of the tools now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I... Said, you know, I, I at home here, I've got a PC and some VR kit, and I can sit and mess around with Unity and things. And you know, the only thing that's stopping me from building a masterpiece is my own ability. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not that there's a whole bunch of tools that I can't afford to buy. Um, and and very much in the nineties, the tools were really expensive. Um, you know. So the you know, machines that we built GoldenEye on were really expensive machines. The software was expensive. It was all first-party stuff, so you had to sign your life away to use it and all this kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's one good thing, mm-hmm. which, is, which has, changed, has changed a lot. Um, but, you yeah, know, but running, I mean, running, running a, a, a game development studio is... <laughs> It's, it's not a bunch of laughs. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a hard, it's it's fundamentally hard work because it's you. Know, one of the things about it which is absolutely amazing is that it it it's creative work and making technology at the same time, which is when it works well, is just you know a wonder to behold. Um, but at the same time. You're, you know, you're endlessly having to make new things and make new tools, and the new tools sometimes mean that work has to be redone, and a lot of things are unknowable. I mean, gate. You know, it, it's it, it, a, a lot of human endeavor. Planning is hard. Yeah. <laughs> planning planning games is really really hard. <laughs> Uh, and 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 I mean I don't I, I I don't know that you get particularly any better at it. I think you get better <laughs> at being more honest with yourself about where you are. I mean that's one of the big things about trying to plan something is to just not lie to yourself about unrealistic time frames and stuff and things and resources. Um, it's yeah, you know, it, 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 it better it's better to just say we don't have the resources, so we won't be doing that. Than to embark on it and then painfully later on find that you don't have resources all the time. Yeah. And did you find that to be like as uh, that you know running a game development studio? Did you find that to be more true as as the head of the studio or 
um, or in, in the role that you were versus, you know, being on the team at Rare? It got, it got, it changed over the years. I mean, I think for the, I mean, for, for the first couple of times versus games, I was very much on the team. Um, but you do other things. I mean, I did a lot of the PR and the public facing stuff and the contract mm-hmm. stuff and things. Um, it, you, you also, in a management role, you spend a lot of time dealing with issues. <laughs> <laughs> issues in inverted commas. Um, and, you know, it's like you think about, you know, if, 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 you've got, if you've got 50 people working for you, if, if, if somebody on average is deeply unhappy once a year <laughs> and you've got 50 of them, then that means every week someone's deeply unhappy. <laughs> so you know, just, just so because of that, and and, and you know, so you end, you end up, you know, you end up having to deal with things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, on 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 the other hand, it's sometimes it's absolutely amazing because you you're because you're perhaps not directly involved in the design and the implementation process. It can be amazing just to see things apparently just appearing out of thin air because you're not, <laughs> you know, you're, you, you know, you're there and you know people are working and stuff and then you get to see it and you don't see it in a very unfinished state. You see it when they've made it good enough to feel that they should show it to you. And, and, and I remember lots of instances like that where you just go, well, you know, it, it was great. I mean, it's amazing to be working with people and to be allowed to trust them enough to let them go and on their own initiative do something and then they bring it to you and they're proud of it and you look at it and you think, you know what, that's better than I could have made. Um, so that's 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 the best bit. The worst bit is when they go away <laughs> <laughs> and come back and go, ta-da, and you go, that's a bit shit. Um, and, 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 and then, but, you know, you can't say that to people <laughs> because that's not, you know, you, you know, you, because people don't deliberately make bad things. They might have made bad decisions or things out of their control might have twisted what happened. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, 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 it's an interesting role managing mm-hmm. things. Um, and, and it's also interesting, certainly over the years, I'd see people who were really good artists or really good programmers or whatever, and they'd want to have a management job but they didn't really understand what the management job was, you know, because it's kind of, you, 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 at that point, you need to be saying to them, well, you know, you really like programming or art. If you're going to be the senior artist or programmer, you're not going to get to do the thing that you really <laughs> like because it's not that job. Mm-hmm. It's a different job. Um, and and that's, that's a big challenge for any organisation is, you know, where do you recruit managers from? Um, because taking your best producers or you know or, or craftsmen, crafts crafts persons, and making them into managers generally doesn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes it works, but you know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I guess, like, I just love the fact that you started at Rare in, in one position and you've just really grown. You, you grew through your roles and clearly it's it's worked out pretty well. You you are credited in the creation of 
one of the best Nintendo 64 games uh, series. And then Time Splitters itself is widely acclaimed. It's people love the series. And, and can yeah. you speak on what you think or what about the Time Splitter series really uh, struck people at the time that it came out? At its core, in particularly for Steve and myself, it was it needed to play well. So it needed, you know. So you, there's no, and and you know, frame rate and responsiveness of things, and then on top of it, we were building the game that we would have wanted to have. Mm-hmm. So. A kind of design pillar. I mean, we never sat down and wrote these things out, but I would say the design pillar of Time Splitters was that we just it, it just wanted to be this kind of chocolate box of stuff, which was where all the genres came from, and the, you know, um, you know, the kind of different tropes, the sci-fi and the gangster and the Wild West and all that kind of stuff, and then also with things like the map maker and the character choice, just to have it that you, you know, it was, it was intended to be a game that you would keep and would, you know, would continue to be fun once, once you'd kind of gone through the, you know, the, 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 the structured content, which, you know, in, in, in the first case was very light. It wasn't really a story, the first one and certain things. Um, so that was that was and it, and it didn't take it and, and it didn't take itself too seriously. I mean, I hated. I. It's funny. I mean, I grew up. I grew up playing kind of role playing games, Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. And, and 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 certainly, my experience has been that a lot of people who are good game designers have done have done that. Because mm-hmm. I, I think I think that um, if you're going to sit down and DM some role-playing thing for three or four hours and entertain some people. You really need to have your wits about you. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and, and, and you've also got to be able to respond and read other people's engagement. So, you know, if, if people are bored, then you need to switch it up or, you know, you need to just, you know. And, 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 and I think it's, I, if anyone was asking me how to learn game design i would say go and do that for a bit because you just you'll 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 get good at seeing when things don't work and um so how did i get onto that i guess i (laughs) always talking about how time splitters being you know very unique and people were drawn to a lot of different yeah 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 okay so yeah i i I see why i did my (laughs) um so so although yeah, so although I really like role playing and RPG stuff and things and traditional kind of pen and paper Dungeons and Dragons, a lot of it is incredibly at its worst. It can be so claustrophobic and nailed into some little channel, um, and, 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 and 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 have no sense of humour. Mm. <laughs> um, so a lot of the a lot of the old. Some of the old TSR game kind of like um, you know dungeons and stuff and things. They're just obsessed with the rules and the mechanics of it, and not the fun. Mm-hmm. So, so Time Splitters was 
it was you know it was a shooter where anything could happen and and if, if something could happen and it was funny or entertaining or distracting or pretty in some way then you would just do it and it wouldn't it wouldn't matter if you had to suspend disbelief or step outside the trope or whatever so that was it had that anything goes it was you know um which which was always it was always interesting not interesting but painful engaging with marketing and publishers (laughs) for that because because it wasn't it wasn't a narrow enough thing for people i mean particularly with ea we had a lot of unpleasant conversations with them where they would just say we can't we we don't know how to sell this so well (laughs) we don't we don't we don't know how to sell this because it's just got too much variety well, well, there you go. Maybe that's how you sell. Right, you can tap multiple <laughs> markets all at one time. Yeah. <laughs> that's so um, silly. But but you know, a, a lot of it's in nowadays with things like you know League of Legends and Dota and Overwatch and stuff. I mean, those things to me, if you look at the character design and the rosters and stuff and things, they scream the same design principles as Time Splitters. Yeah, you know, it's all about variety, and 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 also variety with a lightness of touch and some humour about it. Which, for a while, shooters went down. You know, certainly, kind of, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. There, there, there was a lot of very narrow militaristic stuff mm-hmm. in shooters, and mm-hmm. and I think also we used to get it all the time from again marketing people because they wrongly to my mind had this idea that the market was the kind of teen 20s male stereotyped video game nerd because that was the market they thought they were selling to Mm -hmm. And, and 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 even if it was that market they were belittling those people because they were thinking well they're just looking at going oh well no what you like is is space marines <laughs> <laughs> but, well yeah we, yeah space marines are good but you know not like 50 times not like 50 times yeah and <laughs> and, and and you just see this i i i think i think what i think it's nice to see that at least now even the mainstream in the video game industry is 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 mindful of that error and and does try to stay away from it a little bit however they it does still get caught in ruts mm-hmm. where they just rinse and repeat until it's dead um just yeah because they it's 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 caution it's a sequelitis and caution and all of that kind of stuff but you know on the other hand because indie dev is such a, I I, I pretty much only play indie games mm-hmm. now. Um, yeah, I I I I I don't got PS4, but I don't you know I don't I don't really go and play a lot of the big titles. I'd rather play something which is just going to completely blindside me with something quirky about it. Mm-hmm. I'm the same way personally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, yeah, it's great. I mean, you look at things like you know, you know, I, you know again now you can just watch it. Twitch streams and let's plays of stuff and things, but you know, like you know, like God of Wars and Last of Us and Horizon Zero, whatever. <laughs> amazing, absolutely amazing, wonderful. But I've played those games already. <laughs> you know, 
the, yeah, the, there's reskinning and okay, there's some new mechanics and stuff and things, but by and large, I don't have 50 hours to put into something like that. Mm-hmm. I'd, 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 I'd rather just, you know, like, for instance, I mean, I think I, think I played to death recently was Celeste. Oh. Um, and I don't really like platformers, but <laughs> it was just, I, I just thought it was absolutely charming. And, 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 it, and it, it was always giving, even in terms of gameplay, it was always giving you something because it was almost like, oh, that's, that level looks like it's impossible, but it mustn't be impossible because... <laughs> mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about what it was like that first game that you guys worked on, the first Time Splitters? I'm sure that as a new studio, uh, you know, you guys had worked together as a team, but the dynamic was different. Uh, what was that like? Were there any major challenges? Um, it was it was hard. It was actually quite hard to find new people. Um, I guess we we had quite high standards for what we wanted from people, and we're probably naive in thinking that we'd be able to get those people easily. So, although you know, although I think we did make we we you know free radical, I certainly I think all was hired well. I mean, when we got really when it got toward the end, when we were having to just ramp up teams, I think probably gets harder but then also you know the hiring at the start was generally done by the principals in the company so we were more focused on what we were doing mm. um it it was it, it was a lot of fun i mean i, I it, making making certainly making the first times but i mean it, it was just it had all the excitement of making a game but plus the excitement of Everything was new, so everything about doing the company. I mean, some of it was very frustrating, but because it was, mm-hmm. it was interesting, and 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 we were also, again, largely through Steve's ambition, we were we were driven about trying to hit the PlayStation Two launch, um, and 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 managed to do that when a lot of people when a lot of people failed. Mm-hmm. But, but that was just because we were agile, because we were small. Uh, you know, we could we we could do things other people couldn't do. Um, it was, it was it was it was fun. I mean, it wasn't. Well, yeah, I think we all managed to get on quite well mm-hmm. throughout. Um, and and we were we were we were we were driven. We kind of had this, I guess, the kind of albatross on our shoulder was that we really wanted to not fail because it was yeah, having a lot a, a lot of spin-offs from companies mm-hmm. disappear. Yeah, they, they they all come out and it's all going to be amazing. And and having having put ourselves in that frame was a lot of personal ambition to show that we could do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, going from the Nintendo sixty four to the PlayStation two, um, developing for was there was there a huge difference in the dev kits or the way you guys had to approach um, uh, that development? Yeah, I mean, it, it was very different, but. I mean, Steve, Steve Ellis was entirely the person who made I mean, Steve, Steve's a very, very talented programmer, very talented technically. And, and I mean, and single, single-handedly, he just, you know, set about the cold face and dug. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 but, and, but was, was, was doing, I mean, 
doing great things, um, you know, outperforming other teams of people. It was just really him doing it. So, and then, and then we got we had some really good hires. So Hasset Hasset Zala, who is now at Dan Busters, with the people who are going to, probably going to end up doing the next Times Birth happens. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he he was one of the first people we hired, and 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 Hasset was again a really good hire. I mean, yeah, at a time when if we'd got the wrong person, it could have been disastrous. But um, he was great technically, and, and and then we had a couple more people from Rare. So James Cunliffe, who did the animation and stuff, was 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 brilliant. Um, it, it, it's interesting. Well, I said to somebody the other day. It, Free Radical now, the kind of alumni of Free Radical, the people who've ended up at other companies, a lot of them have ended up in really good roles in big games companies around the world. Um, I mean, and most recently, I think I think there there are there are about five Free Radical people at, at Valve. Oh wow! Which which is quite a bit because Valve's not that big, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. So. Good. Maybe that's. Yeah. I was just saying maybe they're the team working on Half Life Three. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I would. I wouldn't like to be part of the team. Working. <laughs> um. I was. Oh, I was going to ask about. In addition to the three Time Splitters uh, games, you guys released two other titles. One was released between. Was it between two and three? Yes. Yeah. yeah and, second. And, and did you guys have? Was there a specific team working on um, on that game? In- Second time, yeah. <laughs> so that was a yeah. That was an interesting time because that was um, it's a big step to try to be doing two things at once. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and and yeah, and 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 Second Sight was it was a large part of the time split as two team. Um. So, yeah, and, and then, yeah, but you're you're always, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's an interesting thing because also you're dealing with people's personal desires to be on a particular project. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we managed it quite well then. Um, I mean, Second Sight was. I mean, I'm I, I'm very proud of the game. I I. I it, I, I, I think it's I think it's a great game mm-hmm. uh, it has issues but it, it, I, particularly the story and stuff I was involved with a lot of that so um, but I think we did a good job and then I mean uh, I don't know what's your next question and then, and then oh. <laughs> post, 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 post Future Perfect we, mm-hmm. we ended up doing Haze um, which was pretty much a disaster <laughs> <laughs> Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Well, it, it's it's funny looking back on it because so with 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 time splitters, I mean the story starts with time splitters because we were always we were disappointed with how well time splitters two did when it was published by IDOS, mm-hmm. and then we were approached by EA, so we ended up doing time splitters three with with EA, and that was disappointing as well because even though those games both have Incredibly high Metacritic ratings. They 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 didn't sell as well as they ought to have done. Um, but a lot of that is to do with the relationship between an independent developer and, and, and a publisher, because the publisher, the, yeah, they they rather 
sell more of their own thing. Mm-hmm. Let's sell your thing. So there's there's a conflict there, which is never going to go away. Anyway, so after on the back of that, it was also the kind of the generational switch because X360 and PS3 were coming. Um, and we were looking for new people to partner with. And we spoke to a bunch of people. I mean, we spoke to a lot of people. And everyone wanted us to do... We, looking back on it, we should have been more adamant that we didn't that we wanted to do more fun things mm-hmm. but it was a time when everyone was saying oh everything has to be much more realistic on these new consoles and it'll be more gritty and it'll be more so if you're going to do shooters they're going to be more militaristic we can't sell this silly stuff with monkeys and zombies and things and we should have just I don't know with 2020 hindsight <laughs> I think probably what we should have done was just gone a bit turtle and waited it out um, and, and maybe just gone on and made a bit... Made, you know, we could have still made more stuff on PS2 and things. Mm-hmm. But, what, but what we ended up doing was... Well, A, switching to making... Deciding that we should make something a bit more gritty and a bit more realistic mm-hmm. and also deciding that we should build a whole new set of technology. So a whole new engine for PS3, X360. Um, and, and we completely underestimated the resource that it would take to build the technology. Um, but, but pretty much 90% of the games industry made the same mistake. Um, if you, if you, if you go so that this is I guess what is this is like kind of two thousand two three or something I suppose two thousand four. I mean the reason the Unreal Engine is as big as it is now dates from then because at that point in time people used to build a new engine every time they were making a game pretty much and, uh, and but then if you and also if you were a kind of a first-party studio, so like in Nintendo or in a big publisher like Ubisoft or something, they would have their own internal teams building engines, building technology. And and that was pretty much how people did it. So the team that built the game built the engine. But it's quite a risky process because building the technology takes a lot of effort. The transition to PlayStation 3, X360... A lot of teams completely screwed up and couldn't build the technology because it was quite a big. There was quite a big change. It was all shader based, and there was just a lot of stuff was changing mm-hmm. and complexity and stuff. And what happened to Free Radical was we were building a new engine and rewriting a whole bunch of stuff, and and it didn't go very well. So that meant that. If you're on the back foot with the technology, it completely compromises all of the artistic and creative side of it as well. So Hayes was a big fight to do all those things. Um, but because we were the independent studio under contract to you know, a, a game publishing contract, 
it was very hard for us to go and be honest about that. You know, because you can't go and say, you know, this thing that you've just given us. <laughs> yeah, you 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 just signed up for several million dollars to to do this. <laughs> well, well, it's going wrong. <laughs> yeah, because the minute you say it's going wrong, then that it it it, it, it invokes a whole bunch of contractual issues. <laughs> In the case of internal studios, it's fine to say it's going wrong because obviously you know it's, you're the same company, so you can work out what to do. And 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 at that point, one of the things that rescued a lot of those development teams was Unreal Engine, because at the time, Epic were starting to commercialize Unreal Engine mm-hmm. as a third-party solution for making games, and Epic did a brilliant thing there, which was you know, the thing that they were building, they got other people to make it better for them. Because everyone, yeah, and, 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 and that's, that's why when you look at games now, you, you know, what you, there's, so there's, you, you know, most, most AAA stuff is built on, on engines, and one of two engines pretty much now, Unreal and Unity. Mm-hmm. You know, so you like look at Rare. So Rare's so um, Sea of Thieves. It's it's unreal. Yeah, that's and that's Rare. You know, that's Rare who always built their own stuff. <laughs> and, and and also it's Microsoft. So Microsoft doesn't have a solution. Microsoft is using a third party solution anyway. So that I mean I, I don't know if, that, if that's what it was leading, but I think that was a, that was a big issue for us. Was um, I think we didn't have the confidence to mm-hmm. stick to. To stick to doing what we wanted to do, which was making light-hearted, fun things, so we got dragged into—not dragged, but in order to try and remain viable, we got started to make something more realistic, which is what Heavy's was, and also we just had a massive misfire on the technology. Mm-hmm. So, and that was, and you, and that was all with Hayes, right? Is yeah, what you yeah. were saying right, and. We were talking earlier about the indie scene um, a little bit about how with all of the programs and stuff available, it's it's streamlined more now than it used to be. Um, And what you're talking about, it's crazy to think that AAA uh, development is also streamlined in a way now with with the commercialization of things like the Unreal Engine. So I imagine... Things like that. I, I don't know what Naughty Dog use, so mm-hmm. I, I like the you know the other big kind of you know gorillas in the room are like you know Sony first party development, and I'm sure that I'm sure they must have. It would just be prudent for them to have some kind of internal solution. Mm-hmm. Did was there any talks um, in porting Time Splitters? From the PS2 to the PS3, I mean, was that something? And was that an option for you guys? That was all quite depressing because, I mean, we so well, so 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 Sony. I don't know whether they're better now, but Sony used to be a kind of weird kind of Hydra setup. You know, there was Sony America and Sony Europe and Sony Japan. And lots of little empires and stuff, even even within Sony Entertainment, and 
we wanted to do a PS3 version of Time Splitters. We wanted to do PSP version of Time Splitters. And always with Sony, it was, well, you know, you've got to do something innovative with the technology. And we were saying, well, no, we just want to port it. <laughs> because because it'll sell. And again, you know, in retrospect, you know, I, a bit annoying because they then did the same thing with a lot of their own stuff. Like I'm particularly looking at Shadow of Colossus and things like that. <laughs> Well, you know, it was it, it, for some reason. It well, the reason is that it's internal. It's okay to just do straight ports of things um, if it's your thing. If it's somebody else's, it, it, but if it, 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 it was us, it was like we'd be held to a different set of criteria, um, and and that's a shame because I think I think possibly if if if, if we'd been involved in. Doing things like ports of time splitters and keeping it going like that, um, the company wouldn't have failed um, because we wouldn't have had more things on the go. So. I guess, can you explain a little bit what happened with Free Radical um, uh, and, and what you ended up doing afterwards? Uh, I, I would just recommend you don't ever work with Lucasfilm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, yeah, they, I, I, that was interesting. They came to us. Um, they came to us and said, "We want someone to make Battlefront Three, and we think you're the people to do it." And we looked at Battlefront One and Two and said, "Yes, that looks like a something we could definitely do, and that'd be a great thing to do." We were kind of, again, we we were a little bit on the back feet because of because Hayes wasn't going wonderfully well. Um, and, and we'd always we'd always said it was best if we owned our own intellectual property. But if you're going to work with a licensed intellectual property, then you might as well work with a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so so and, and and that was also you know when 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 we when we when we entered into those deals with 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 Lucas Arts, it was morale wise, it was brilliant for the company. I mean, everyone. I mean, I'm I'm actually personally not. A big Star Wars fan, but um, you know, so many of the people who worked for us were massively. You know, you, you don't have to go very far in a game development studio to see a whole bunch of Star Wars toys lying around, <laughs> <laughs> doctor monitors and stuff and things like that. So it was it, it, it was a great thing. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things went wrong. I mean, we we were we were still trying to get our technology right. The scope of the scope of the game went crazy. But that was largely due to some very unrealistic ambitions coming out of LucasArts, <laughs> um, and 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 then LucasArts also self-destructed because I mean, look, you know, I, I, we didn't know at the time, but if you look look at look back at it now, it's clear that Lucasfilm was grooming itself to sell to Disney, mm-hmm. so they were. So they were doing they were doing a lot of things, yeah, they were cutting things internally and trying to get the house in order for that sale and 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 we were we were in the wrong place at the wrong time i mean and we, we 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 were struggling to some extent with the development, but I think it would have been fine if 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 it hadn't ended up being um well it it ended up being quite unpleasant. 
and uh, what was what was the series of events kind of as that was like that was collapsing? I mean, that wasn't oh. wasn't your fault, but you guys were. Kind well, of I I mean, if, 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 if we had been if we had been if everything had been going splendidly well with the development, mm-hmm. then we probably might have survived it. But, you know, it was like any development process. It, there, were, there were a lot of unknowns and there were a lot of, lot of issues. <laughs> I just, yeah, but, I mean, internally at LucasArts, they, you know, they, they, they sacked all of their senior management oh, and, wow. put, and put in a whole bunch of people who were, I don't know, pretty much psychopaths, as far as I could make out. <laughs> and, and then we had to go and talk to them and be shouted at by them for a few months and it was very unpleasant <laughs> what, did, what did they yell at you guys for well i i mean it you know it was, like it was, well they, they 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 were yelling because because the game wasn't ready or you know or or it hadn't met the ambitious goals that they had but i think really at that point they just wanted to be out of the contracts because they were you know because subsequently they shut lucasarts down yeah, Lucasarts doesn't exist anymore. Right. <laughs> um, so you know that was, you know, the, that 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 was. I think that was part of the goal. I mean, I I think they saw Lucasarts as being something that lost money, mm. um, and 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 we were we were some independent company that Lucasarts was spending money with. <laughs> and so, what happened to Free Radical Design when? Um... Like, did, did they get re- they got reacquired by somebody else, right? So I I, I wasn't involved. So oh, so okay. so so by the, the I mean I I I mean I, I I never it was never properly something that I had diagnosed or whatever. But I pretty much had a nervous breakdown coming out of that. Wow. Um, and 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 it was. I mean, I guess what I'm saying. How long ago is that? It's ten years ago now. I mean, it, it, yeah, it, 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 it was it was it was a big it was a big thing because I I was I did all of the things that you shouldn't do, which is to be in denial about, <laughs> which just makes it worse. Um, so and 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 that was yeah. You know, in the end, I left left Free Radical um, because I just couldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's I mean that and that's a very hard thing because. You know the company was in jeopardy at the time, so you're kind of you know you have a thing that is your thing that you've built and you feel a lot of responsibility to people, but also you know you've got responsibility to yourself not to drive yourself off the cliff mm-hmm. um so it was it was very traumatic um and took up i don't know probably you know, something you never get over, but it, it took a long time to even be able to talk about it or think about it um, but and then and, and the company went into administration so you know it, it, because because the because LucasArts um, I mean as, as I understand it I mean I wasn't directly involved in the end of it, but we had we had good contract we had strong contracts with them but a contract doesn't mean anything when you're facing a company which has got that amount of financial clout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so yeah, the, the, we 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 could, 
there could either be some compromise or you could go to court with them and going to court with Lucasfilm in San Francisco <laughs> when, when you're a relatively small company in the UK is, is not an option because you would just be bled out. Yeah. It would never go to judgment. You just would, you, you'd lose before you started because you couldn't, you couldn't ante up to stay in the game. So, um, and, and that meant, you know, free radical, a lot of people lost their jobs because they were on, you know, they, they, we had hired a lot of people to make those games and then the money to make the games went away. Um, it went into administration. The other principals, Steve and Carl and Graham, stayed with the company a bit. It was bought by Crytek and never really, I mean, did some stuff. Was They worked on the multiplayer part of Crisis and stuff and things, but... You know, I, I think at that point, it was probably hemorrhaging talent as well because people, people who were, you know, a, a lot of people left then. But people, you know, interestingly, people stayed for a while. I mean, pe- people had, you know, there, there was some kind of familial responsibility people felt to it. You know, there were good friendships, so a lot of those guys still t- stay in touch. Um. It, I mean, it, it's 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 a very hand-to-mouth existence that running. You know, there aren't very many independent developers like that anymore because it's it, it's all you need to do is misstep ever so slightly, and 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 it it can all go very badly wrong. And and if you look if you look at if you look at internal studios. Look at what happens, or what has notoriously happened a number of times, is you get these horrendous hire and fire cycles, mm-hmm. where where they yeah they, they 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 get a whole bunch of people and promise them you know proper permanent jobs, mm-hmm. and then once they've then once they've worked themselves to the bone shipping something, they fire them all. <laughs> um, it's yeah. It, it, <laughs> It's it, it's it's a it's a hard it's a hard model because you need you need the, you need the big production team to get through development mm-hmm. and to fin- finish something and to create all the assets, but actually you need very lean agile teams to plan things out, and also the teams who are planning things out need to be experienced people. You need to be people who've. It's bizarre. I mean, I I I'm, I'm not involved in any of this anymore. Um, I I you know I, I but. I think I'd be quite good at it because I've seen it go wrong. Because <laughs> because you don't you know you you don't really learn very much when things go well. You 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 learn unrealistic expectations, <laughs> right? So um, yeah, it's it, it's I don't know I, I I can't and now it's you know with outsourcing and stuff I can't imagine what the management is like in running you know if you I don't know so. I, I'm always incredulous when I look at, say, Ubisoft are a good example. Mm-hmm. You know, look at the Assassin's Creed games. I mean, they are enormous. Mm-hmm. Just in it, even just looking at the art assets, it is an enormous task, and a large part of that stuff is outsourced. And when you outsource something, you always, every step it's removed from you, you lose control over quality. Um. So yeah, it's it's astounding that those things mm-hmm. get made. 
the the state of like the amount of games that are being released every year now um i've only got 26 years of i mean i guess 21 maybe 20 solid years of gaming under my belt so not a whole lot compared to some people but i just feel like now there's so many huge games coming out i mean you look at things like e3 I mean, and you know they're showing a lineup over a couple of years, um, but when you've got them showing the like, like Bethesda, for instance, you know they announced Fallout seventy six a couple of months ago, yeah, yeah. and it's going to be coming out soon. And you know Fallout four was crazy huge. You know those those RPGs are insane to me, um, and just to I just can't even imagine like in Grand Theft Auto five like you talked about earlier. Um, Los Santos's map is huge. All of the content that needs to be generated for that amount of space in game is just it blows my mind. Mm. <laughs> um, but that was really off topic for me. <laughs> uh, well, but they, it, it, and it, it's it's the amount you know, when when so I remember when even kind of PlayStation Two. Mm-hmm. As someone making games, I would expect to have played at least to some extent all of the significant games. <laughs> you know, so 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 yeah, so so any 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 year there were probably twenty things that you really ought to have played. Um and 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 they would be across across different genres as well. So, you know, like I would play RTS and some sports games and stuff and things just because they were good examples of craft, of design craft and, and stuff and things. It's just not possible anymore. <laughs> you know, this, it, and, 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 and also the kind of, like, yeah, you say, I mean, Fallout and GTA are, are good examples. Um, I don't know what percentage of people playing those games encounter all of the content. Mm-hmm. It must be very small. Uh, you know, so so Fallout Four. I think I gave up on Fallout, uh, Fallout Three. I gave up on when the, the, when the X three sixty scratched the disc, <laughs> <laughs> which was a bit of a show. I, and, and I did that thing of never being able to get back. But you know, I, I remember it. I remember playing it and, and, and spending many a happy hour, you know, blowing things heads off in the wasteland and whatever and, 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 and following some of the little obscure story arcs and stuff. Um, but, but it's weird. I mean, games, there aren't, there aren't, well, I can't really think of another creative art where people create so much content which they don't expect most people to encounter. You know, if, you, if you write a book, you expect people to read it all. If you make a film, you expect people to watch the whole film. If you, if you create some visual arts thing, you expect people to go and look at it and not look at just the corner of it. Um, but games, you know, the, 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 what games, big games, ask of the player is insane compared to most things. 
you know, it's like, well, you know, and, and, and it's, it, it's a really hard thing to explain. I mean, I, I've, I've some good friends, you know, one friend in particular who, who we, you know, we, we enjoy talking about books and films and stuff and things. Um, he's not a gamer. And it's, it's interesting trying to, a, a good example, and it's not, I mean, it's not even really that big a game, is we had been, when, I mean, my generation, so I grew up in the 80s, um, Mad Max was a really big thing. So I can really, I've got incredibly strong memories of when Mad Max 2 came out. <laughs> because it would, because it, there had not really been anything like it, and it was transformative, and yeah, it, was, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was a big cult, cult hit. So when Fury Road came out, um, my friend Tim and I went went to see it, mm-hmm. and I, again I thought I thought as a, as a as a as a modernization and recreation of that whole vibe and trope. It was it, it was it was it was wonderfully done. So about the same time, the game came out. The um, I can't remember what it was called. It might, it might have been called just Fury Road. It was the Mad Max kind of open world game, and. I really enjoyed playing it. I mean, it's it's not it's it, it's 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 got problems, but as a evocation of that driving around the wasteland and doing stuff things in your car, it was it was really good. But I couldn't explain to Tim. I, I showed him it. I said, "Well, this is this game, but I can't really explain this to you because you kind of need to have played it for twenty hours <laughs> to get it." It's like, you know, I can show you, I can show you here's driving from A to B, but you're never going to have the experience of driving from A to B and wondering whether there's something there or thinking about your upgrades or all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. because because you need to play the game to do that. Um, and, 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 and it's, it's, a, it's, it's a weird thing because it does take, it does take, you know, for most games, like, you know, I look something like Breath of the Wild. I mean, I've, I, I played that, enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't finish it because I got sidetracked doing something else <laughs> and then had that thing of going, you know, you, you must have had that experience of, you know, something like that, like an open world game, mm-hmm. big narrative and stuff, and you're 60, 70% of the way through it and it's, you pick it up every day and play it, and then you put it down for a week, and you go back to it, and you can't remember what you were doing <laughs> or, or how to play the game, and it's all very confusing. I wish games would come with like a notes option so you could like leave <laughs> yourself something to when you load it back up. You're like, oh yes, okay, cool. <laughs> well, it's just and it's just the little quirks of that. I, I think the I think Breath of the Wild. I left off in the middle of some boss fight. <laughs> You know, which which I I've been I've been hammering away at it, and I'd pretty much got it, and then I played it and nearly got it and didn't get it, and then thought I'll just leave that, mm-hmm. and of course came back, and a week later I had no skills, so I was just <laughs> getting spread around because I just couldn't even remember what the buttons were, or I I didn't know how to go and make myself some kind of mushroom stew that was going to see me through the battle, or where to get mm-hmm. a fairy from. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. After okay, so after free radical design, um, you left. Yeah. What was the series of events after that? Were you still involved in making games? I know that currently you're lecturing. Um, you're a professor. Um, well, I'm not a professor. Or, I, I, 
you can teach it. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, 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 I live in rural North Norfolk in the UK. Um, I've done various things. I mean, mostly to do with I, 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 for a few years, I did a lot of helping out teaching primary school kids. Um, because my girls were at school and my, you know, I, I, I was doing voluntary stuff and some other stuff. I, I, I enjoy doing that. Um, teaching, I mean, science and computing and things. Um, and, and computing is interesting because kids are very game literate. Mm-hmm. I mean, they play a lot of games. I mean, when I was, when I was that age, I, there weren't really any games to play, but, um, it, it it it's it's an interesting thing. I mean, I I I think it's 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 a shame that it I mean, it's coming through, but teachers. I mean, get get games to me are something that it's probably worthwhile everyone knowing about, and and. I mean, not just computer games, I mean board games and stuff and things, because a lot of a lot of what games do is to provide a engaging way to spend leisure time. Mm-hmm. You know, people, people choose to play games. Um, and, 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 that, and that's a really interesting thing, because they... When you try to define what a game is... Often, a game looks very much like work, <laughs> but it's kind of work that people voluntarily undertake to do. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like a, a board game, for instance. If, you, if you're going to if you're going to play a board game with a group of people, and you're the person who's going to be learning to play the game and explain mm-hmm. it, it's it's, it's a, a massive amount of work. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do it because of the social interaction and the pleasure of interacting with the game and managing the game systems and stuff and things. Um, and when people, like children, when they play games, they, they, they can be quite discriminating about whether a game is rubbish or not. <laughs> um, and, and, and I enjoy like, you know, working with kids, like teaching them some kind of programming. There are some nice visual languages they can learn and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they and they often want to make gamey things, you know. They want to make, you know, gaming machinery. And you know, it's I want to be able to control this or make these things happen. And 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 that's really good because it's a platform for them to learn other skills because they'll learn technical computing skills, or they might learn, need to learn maths, or they might need to learn things about narrative and story, things that things that traditionally would be in more formal ways right. so um and 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 it's i think it will change and it is changing it's it, it's 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 wrong to say it, it it's not changing <laughs> but as more teachers are aware of that i think it's it it, it provides a interesting way for teaching um interesting mechanics for teaching <laughs> um you know because because it's weird. It's, it's, if you look at it, you know, so, you know, very traditionally, a teacher could be going to a class of kids and saying, well, here's a book which I've really enjoyed. So we're going to look at the book 
And that's a valid and useful thing to do, to critique the book, to read the book. So it's a leisure activity, which is permissible to bring into a classroom environment. Until fairly recently, the idea that you would say the same thing about a game would be would have been laughable because games were you know in, in some in some quarters at best considered harmful mm-hmm. <laughs> video games i mean video yeah, video games have got have got a terrible reputation in 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 some parts of society um but yet loads of people play them mm-hmm. um but it's but it's 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 changing. It's more, I mean, I I used to say it's like you know it'll be interesting when you can go to a dinner party and it's okay to talk about the games you've been playing because <laughs> it's okay to talk about the films you've been watching and the books you've been reading. Um, but people, it, it it's a it's a it's it's a massive sector of entertainment and it's a massive arena that people put their valuable leisure time into. Um, and and you know and and also because people people naturally have I mean I think when you're playing a game because because you engage with a game in a way that you don't engage with with something more passive like say a film mm-hmm. um, people develop their own critical awareness of it and their own expectations and you know people will say they'll pick something up and they'll go you know what i don't really like that i don't like the way this works i'm not going to play it because i think this part of it's broken these controls don't work well it doesn't reward you know. so they're actually they're involved in some critical dialogue with the thing in a way that often they aren't with other things you know our tv i'll just i'll just watch it anyway it's not very good why are you watching that oh i don't know i'm just watching it because <laughs> <laughs> you know people don't People don't often play games in that way. They'll they'll go play something else. It's hard to be. It's hard to force yourself to play through because your active your brain is actively engaged with that form of entertainment. Like yeah, I can be right. I can be channel surfing and come you know I'm like man there's nothing on so I you know whatever the best thing that's on may be pretty <laughs> bad overall yeah. uh, but comparatively it's the best option so fine I guess I'll watch it you know and then. People are very are, are a lot less apt, I think, to just throw their active brain engagement at yeah. something they don't enjoy. Yeah, and and they often have opinions. I mean, even they often have opinions about how to make it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is great. I mean, yeah, I, which is good. I mean, that's engagement, isn't it? So it's it's it's. Mm-hmm. What's not to like about that? I mean, right. and, and, and I think, and a thing I've seen firsthand. I mean, this is a, a particular example of it, which, which I think is a strong example. Is, is if you working with say um, primary school children, so children who are kind of you know they're maybe about ten or eleven. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, they 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 yeah they're, they're beginning to develop. Yeah, they're beginning to move beyond just arithmetic in terms of maths and stuff and things. Absolutely. So so they, kids like that, they're starting to do algebra and coordinate geometry and things like that. And often it's taught to them in a fairly dry way. But I've seen the same children who, because they're trying to make 
a character move or a gun shoot or something in a video game will patiently engage with much, which, with much harder maths because the goal is something that they've subscribed to. It's their own self-directed goal. I want to make this character move around and jump and squash and stretch or whatever. So therefore, I'm quite happy to learn all of maths as opposed to, you know, just doing the maths for the sake of it. Um, we did that, yeah, it, 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 it's very interesting. Um, and so I, this is very recent. I didn't, I mean, I, I stumbled upon this, um, this news and it was about <clears throat> THQ Nordic acquiring, uh-huh. um, the, I guess the, the rights to the free radical design games, including the time, you know, the time splitter series and second sight and haze, I believe. Right. Yeah. So they, yeah, I think they, that was about, I don't know, about three or four weeks ago or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Although they, they, it looks to me like they're they're very shrewdly buying up a bunch. Of, they they bought up the kingdoms of Amalar rights the other day, yeah. as well. Um, which which that was a good game. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know what they'll do with it. Um, How do you feel about um, either remasters th- or new s- entries into the series? I I I think I think it's good. I I didn't like how it was kind of just dormant mm-hmm. um you know because crytek weren't doing anything with it um so I, I i i think i think that's good um it would be it'd be you know it'd be, it'd be nice to see even remasters because people it, it, it's harder to play those games now because you need to play them under emulation and stuff and things mm-hmm. i think for new stuff it will be I think I think it would be hard to make a Time Splitters game that pleased all the Time Splitters fans. <laughs> you, because you know you've, you've got you, there's a whole bunch of you know there's all the roast tinted glasses stuff and I mean any anything like that is always hard. And 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 one of the things about the Time Splitters game is that over the series of the three that we made, they just got bigger and bigger. So. You know, but by the end of the last one, it had I don't know, it's like 150 characters or something. <laughs> um, that's that's a big ask to mm-hmm. do with modern asset complexity and things. So, yeah, and and, and then things like the map maker. I mean, I don't know whether they would even revisit that. I mean, the map maker was something that Steve and I were very passionate about because we just liked the idea of creating. Um, authoring tools for users to build their own stuff. We thought it was the kind of thing that we would have wanted to have in a game. Yeah. Yeah. But that, but that's, that's a, yeah, that, that'll be again, a hard thing to do. So it's, I don't know. I mean, it'd be, yeah, good, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and the, but although the games that, you're very well known for working on may have come out in the late nineties, early two thousands. The communities surrounding them are still, you know, very active, especially with speed running. Um, you've got golden eye is, you know, a game that speed run a lot. Um, and speed running, I think it's, it's an amazing aspect of the gaming community because games are appreciated. And 
in a very different way um, in that arena. <laughs> I feel like... Well, I, have, I, mean, I, I think with GoldenEye, I think we inadvertently made it a good speedrunning game because of the times mm-hmm. in the levels, because it times the levels and we have timed unlocks for things. So it kind of invited speedrunning to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean, that's been... I mean, last, last year I had a... I, I kind of got in touch with him. There's a chap, Ryan White, mm-hmm. who is a big, he's a kind of like granddaddy of the GoldenEye speedrunning community. Um, and, and, and I had a couple of good chats to him over Skype. He just had loads of questions, you know, about, oh, why why can we do this? Why can't we do this? Why, you know, um, and, and then I think they, and, and they, and because they, because they've been, keeping records for so long you just end up with these ridiculous things so, so, so it, was, it was earlier this year there was some records a guy called jobs to whatever beat it mm-hmm. on, on on the dam and it's like you know it, it it's this you know 15 year record <laughs> and, and and he just you know the, the the guy just sat down and said okay i, I know this is possible to beat it so i'm just gonna lock myself in a room <laughs> And there's a, and there's a there's a there's a lovely video because he was he was obviously recording it all. There's a there's, a, there's his reaction video from when he did beat it, and he just <laughs> the joy in his face. He just you know it's, it's insane. So how does so you're, you've got twenty plus years of gaming experience now? You've got a decorated resume behind you. You know great games um, that speak for you and your teams that you've worked on. Like they're you know, the ability, how does, how does it feel now, you know, 20 years later, 10 years later, um, from your major releases? The, the, the nicest thing is, is meeting people and them thanking, particularly Goldeneye. I mean, I've, I've gone, I've gone, I've gone to a few retro gaming things, um, and people, People will come up to you and be genuinely, you know, have genuine praise and thanks, and 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 and, and they they because because some childhood memory that they have was facilitated by something I did. I mean, I you know, I, I I I wasn't directly there when they were doing it, but it's it's a really nice thing to hear, you know. It's particularly, I mean, particularly, I mean, I. Although my role at Goldeneye was more to do with um, setting up single-player stuff, it's the multiplayer stuff. It's when people come and say about all the fond memories they have of playing multiplayer with their, you know, with their siblings or relations or friends or whatever, um, and they're quite precious formative memories. Mm-hmm. But somehow I have managed. Yeah, you know, I, you know, that's an enduring thing there, which is a really. Yeah, it's a very positive thing for me to take um, comfort from. Is that somehow I was involved in that for you know hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's yeah that that looking back on it now, I mean that that part of it is, is much more interesting than any kind of financial reward or whatever. Um, it's, it's nice to it's nice to have done something that people liked. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and that was one of the things that really struck me when I. 
uh, when I reached out to you and then I was, you know, doing research online is that you are, you seem to be involved um, in the community when people have questions and want to chat with you. Um, and I think that that's amazing because you have a lot of really great insight into the game and, you know, you and, you know, Mark and Martin and everybody that was involved, not just you, but like everybody. Um, and I think that's what really stuck out to me kind of as a, like, I didn't play GoldenEye personally a ton as a kid. I watched people play it a lot. <laughs> I've always been like a, like, when it comes to shooters, even as a kid, I've I've enjoyed watching people play them. Um, but I've always had, I, I've never been practiced enough to be very good. I get real anxious with the first person view, even as a kid. Um, <laughs> but I, that was, that was really, that really stuck out to me. Um, well, I, I didn't, I, I didn't play, I mean, I never really got um, online. Mm -hmm. I, I think once a, I remember once playing, I think it was Gears of War when it came out and playing it, but I, I was playing it with my brother who I, you know, we, we don't see each other that much. So it was, it was just, it was a social thing with him. And it was funny because we were playing and we were just getting completely creamed. <laughs> Both rubbish at it, but we were playing as a team and being rubbish, but just finding it really funny. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what people thought, <laughs> but you know, um, but that I, I, you know, it's it's again, it's come back, it's coming back. I mean, things like I mean, Switch is quite good for it, and and a lot of a lot of PC stuff now. Mm -hmm. I just the, the the social you you can't you can't emulate. The social mm. interaction that you get of people sitting together. Yeah, something. that couch co-op is so the good. Couch co-op co and just the you know and just the trash talk and the whole <laughs> yeah it, it's it's you know, you know my girls now are old enough to play something and there's some things we we, we, we play occasionally I mean, they're not they're not big gamers mm -hmm. but some things mm -hmm. play but just the whole thing you know just the no why did you do that well no it was your fault. No, it was your <laughs> No, okay. Well, let's do it again. Oh, look, you've screwed up again, right? Okay. Um, and 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 my eldest Molly, I mean, she we, it's quite. She can be she that the. Yeah, you know, she'll beat me at Mario Kart now, <laughs> which is a <laughs> although she can't she can't beat me at SNES Mario Kart. Is so she, she play? Do y'all play on like three hundred CC or one? Are y'all playing on the? 100 cc that's uh, game changer it is it is a game there's a game changer, but it's, it's 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 funny also that the kind of watching how i think we were we were, we were playing it i i, I yeah i, I Mario Kart 8 i think it's great it's great on switch it's great with the wii u and whatever um but i think we were looking at it the other day and i was going hey hold on you you've a lot of this stuff <laughs> <laughs> So actually, even though I don't think you play it, you've probably put in, you know, a good 50 hours or something. And that's probably why I'm getting beaten. <laughs> <laughs> do do your girls know, um, like, do they know that you've worked in games and you've created games? Have they been like... Yeah, they, 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 they do. They, 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 they re I think they regard it as being a bit strange. <laughs> um, you know, they, and, and I don't know how they're not really played. I think, I mean, something like Time Splitters, it, it, 
they'd enjoy playing it, but I mean, the controls are a little bit twitchy by modern standards and stuff and things. Um, it, yeah, I, I think I, I think that they, they they constantly are amused when their friends are more interested in it than they are. And they're just going, <laughs> that, that. They're going, yeah, 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 but he's a bit nerdy, you know. He sits on his computer. <laughs> Have you ever had any of your your girls' friends like play, have played Goldeneye? I don't know if like kids still play N sixty fours very regularly. Um. Not, not, so, not so much. What's it's interesting how there's a the the kind of those those old consoles mm-hmm. have become quite collectible now. Because I think the thing is, yeah, if you if you get an old N sixty four and the cartridge and the electronics work, then you get you experience the game as it was intended. Because yeah, it wasn't it wasn't something that was constantly updated with patches and DLC and stuff. It was you know you you made the game and that was it, and it was a closed thing. Mm-hmm. Also. People like to physically collect things, so that's kind of gone now. You know, you know, you you, you might have, you know, you, you have your your Switch or your your PS4 or whatever, and you have all the downloadable stuff that you've downloaded, but it's 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 not tangible. In the, so a lot, you, you see, a lot of me collecting is is it's just it's it's a strange human thing, isn't it? But mm-hmm. but people. The people like to collect physical things and arrange them. So, you know, you see people's pictures of their shelves of old console boxes and such and things. Um, so there's and and and, the, and it does that 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 whole retro kind of flea market thing is a thing, isn't it? And it's, mm-hmm. and it's probably not something that's going to happen with anything post PS3 because there's no physical copy. Yeah, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's, and, and even if you get the physical copy, if the servers have gone or the downloadable stuff isn't available anymore, then it's it, it it's gone. Um, so, 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 so you occasionally, you know, I occasionally meet people who 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 you know were probably well now who who weren't alive when Goldeneye came out, but they have copies of Goldeneye because they've decided it's a thing that they're interested in. <laughs> so that's wow. No, that's awesome. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to mention before we finished up? I know we've you thank you so much. We've been talking for almost two and a half hours now. <laughs> no, not not. I mean, not not particularly. Okay. I mean, it's, it's interesting you start kind of the, in the talking. I guess probably probably only in the last couple of years I've been more inclined to 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 talk to people about the stuff. Um, and 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 also, it's in, I mean, I, I, in some ways, I'd much rather like you know you're you know, you're saying you know you're, you you you've got your podcast and stuff and things and you're you know you're kind of I'm just looking at the stuff you'd said about it. You're you know you're pretty much learning the history as you go along. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a much more interesting for me. That's a more interesting prospect because you're more likely to be interested in quirky things about it. But, <laughs> Then, yeah, because main, main, mainstream stuff is, is often again quite quite narrow. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, so. and I just feel like 
people who have been in positions like yourself have, you know, really interesting perspectives. You know, you have the most honest perspective about the industry than anybody else can offer. In in, in your experience and, you know, the, the, the games that you got to work on. Well, I think I think people who are, I mean, it's like any industry. You know, if, if, if you're if you're active in it, then you're you're not really able to say what you think. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, because, because there are repercussions, um, and and I mean, yeah, I mean, in in, in the time that I spent, I mean, we, we had we had things go wrong. We had things go pretty well. Things go wrong, and but it, it's it's interesting because people, I mean, in my experience, people don't generally do malicious things. Um, it's it's just that the kind of organisations or priorities that they find themselves engaging with often, you know, may end up making mistakes which are harmful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but, it, but it's not it's not because they're it's not because they're evil. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, and, and yeah, it's, it's it's kind of interesting looking back look, look, looking back on it. Absolutely. Um, so. Well, I believe. That's really all of my questions. Um, well, no way. A pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much, David. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I'll have show notes for today's episode up on cakebites.com. Don't forget to like and follow the show on social media so you can keep up with updates, uh, as well as on Twitch so you can get updates when I finally go live. Um, and... I think that's everything. See y'all next time.